0: So it looks like we're going live now. Um, So I wanted to go ahead and get started with our programming today. Um, So hello and welcome uh, to our latest installment of the Let's Keep Moving series from the APDA. Um, Those of you who are able to tune in to our last month saw that our latest series of webinars is meant to show how um, some of our colleagues in your healthcare team can help you to stay active in your community. So last month, Tammy had had a wonderful interview with Rachel Reynolds, a dietitian who works at the BU Sargent Choice Nutrition Center. And they had a great discussion on how proper nutrition helps to support an active and healthy lifestyle. If you weren't able to see their talk, I definitely recommend watching the recording that we have available on the APDA website and social media. Um, Today, we are so, so lucky to have Lisa Summers joining us. Um, Lisa is a clinical associate professor and the clinic director for the Center for Language, Speech and Hearing in the Department of Communication Disorders at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. Uh, We are thrilled to have Lisa joining us to discuss an important topic. As many of you know, Parkinson's disease can affect your communication abilities uh, with changes in speech, voice, and even thinking or cognition. Additionally, your ability to safely swallow could be impacted. So we wanted to have this talk today to discuss how these symptoms can gradually affect your lifestyle and your participation in your usual activities. My work as a physical therapist, we often work with our patients to engage them with lifestyle changes or in some cases, just maintaining an active lifestyle by encouraging people to keep up with community activities that they're passionate about. These can be things like um, walking or socializing or um, going to dance classes or boxing with their friends and Um, We often see how communication and swallowing disorders can lead people to skip out on some of these activities that can lead to a less active lifestyle over time. So today we were really hoping we could shed light on this common problem and more importantly, give you some ways to work against these symptoms. Um, With that introduction out of the way though, I'd like to turn things over to Lisa. And Lisa, I know you had some slides for us.
1: I do, I'm going to just share my screen here. Thank you for that wonderful introduction, Tim, and uh, we're going to get started. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about, um, you know, the kinds of things that change for people um, in terms of communication, cognition, swallowing with um, Parkinson's disease. But this is going to be very much a dialogue. And I'm I'm really happy to have Tim here because I have had um, a long career of working with uh, physical and occupational therapists, recreation therapists, um, f- with people with PD and working as a team and really so value my colleagues and feel like all together we do the best possible job for people with PD rather than kind of being in silos. And, and a lot of times people don't know what happens behind that closed door of a speech therapy session. And so I'm opening the door today and I'm welcoming all of you in and really um, hoping that you see the value of, of exercise because exercise is very critical in the speech therapy world as well. So you see a theme here, right? And um, we really want to make sure that um, you're getting all the latest information and that you know how to be your your own best advocate if you need any of these services um, now or in the future. So, just to kind of give you a frame of reference, about 90% of people with PD at some point in the disease process are going to experience changes with communication. It can be very subtle sometimes, and it's just like your other um, symptoms, early symptoms that you sometimes have with PD, like losing your sense of smell. Um, And you explain it away as something else sometimes. And so, A lot of times people think back, oh, you know, my my voice has been kind of hoarse for about five years or so. Maybe that was an early sign. So some changes can happen very early and very subtly. Um, Breath support is one area. Um, And that's an area where Tim and I will talk a little bit further when we talk about treatment, but breath support with physical exercise being a component of the treatment of that is super important. And of course that supports your voice, your breath supports your voice. And so voice production, a soft voice, sometimes the quality of the voice is hoarse, breathy or harsh. So people start to experience changes. It's not unusual for people to feel like, in order to get their voice going, they have to clear their throat before they can get their voice started. That's a really common thing that happens to people. Sometimes people's articulation or the clarity of their speech can be impacted. And the inflection of the voice and the facial expression are two sort of nonverbal kind of um, changes in communication that actually have a huge impact on your effectiveness and how you're perceived socially. So if you're talking in a monotone voice and you don't have very much facial expression, both of those things because of the Parkinson's, because of the way the muscles aren't moving the way they should in your vocal cords and on your face that can often make you appear as if you're disinterested or you're depressed when you're really not this is a symptom that a lot of people who are still working or people that are are still trying to not um they're not sharing that they have pd as a diagnosis Um, This is something that can really impact them because they're not realizing that it's happening a lot of times, but it is affecting their interactions with people. So I really, really like to get the word out to people. Um, It's very, very important once you're diagnosed, to really get on top of these things right away and, and get an evaluation to really find out what's going on. Because sometimes you may not think that you have that many issues. You're even in your neurologist's office and the neurologist is is asking you, are you falling? You know, they're pulling you backwards by the shoulders. They're doing all their assessment of you, but that's often very physically focused. And a lot of times you're sort of you know, on for lack of a better word, or you're 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 um, paying more attention, and you're in a small room, and so you might be soft, but they're not noticing that, so they're thinking, well, they're not really having that many changes, but in reality. I can almost always put somebody on a decibel meter and I can see that they've already had changes. So these are the kinds of things why I'm so excited to be here today so that we can talk about that. And then that intersection between what you're doing physically and and all your exercise programs that that you're thinking about doing and that we talk about um, a lot uh, are really, really important and they all intersect here. Um, One other additional issue that I think a lot of people don't realize is that there's really a sensory disconnect. So a lot of people, it doesn't feel as if you're any softer or that you're using any different amount of effort to speak than you used to. And as a matter of fact, it's very, very common for people to accuse their spouse or their significant other of needing a hearing aid, which can also be true, <laughs> but um, it is often the case that the person um, is softer than they used yeah, to. Yeah,
0: sometimes it can be both, right?
1: Yes, <laughs> absolutely, it could be both. And we'll talk a little bit more about hearing a, a little mm-hmm. bit later because hearing is, hearing and hearing loss are really important to not ignore. And I'll talk a little bit more about why that is. And then the last point that I want to make is just that while medications can be very, very effective for some of your gross motor symptoms um, that you're having and tremor and rigidity and other things, medications have not been shown to be effective with speech, voice, and swallowing changes. Different mechanism, and and so it's not it, it's that's where exercise and specific exercises um, for these problem areas come about. And the other thing that I want you to think about here is, you'll see that I'm talking about sort of reduced things are reduced, right? So. Your physical therapist might talk to you about reduced amplitude of movement. So you're not your stride length isn't as far. You're not swinging your arms as much as you were, things like that. The same thing is actually happening. These are motor problems too. They're fine motor problems. And so it exercise is the treatment for these fine motor problems as well. So I I just want to make that parallel for you so that you know the slowness of movement, that bradykinesia, reduced amplitude of movement, those are all present in how the vocal folds are working, how your tongue is working, how your jaw is working, things that impact speech. Well, it's not advancing, so I just might need to stop my share and reshare. Okay. Sorry about that, everybody. Tim, I don't know if you have anything else that you want to add while I'm...
0: Yeah, I was nodding away, away because it's, it's so interesting because the, the same kind of principles uh, affect how we, um, you know, how we think exercise works for the the physical symptoms and and sort of what we do as physical therapists so i i think it's a great point that there's a lot of um overlap with that too
1: yeah absolutely and and you know it's one of the things that's a classic issue in 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 my field for sure in speech language pathology is that um a lot of times it doesn't matter what the area that I'm working in. Maybe I have a patient who's had a stroke or I have somebody who has Parkinson's disease or brain injury or something else. A lot of times it's a lot easier for people to understand if they look at a limb and they see that that limb, <laughs> my leg isn't working, my arm isn't working. But our communication skills, wow, are they wrapped up in so many things. Mm-hmm. And so another one of these areas that's really kind of invisible and mysterious to us is our cognition. And we know from the research that people with PD can have cognitive changes as well. Just like everything else with PD, it can vary widely. Some people have very minimal changes in their cognition and some people develop dementia. It it really does run the gamut. But, and I know that it's something that people have a lot of worry about there's stigma attached to it of course and there's there's also just mystery (laughs) attached to it and it's part of our personalities it's what makes us who we are and so it's very wrapped up in how we our emotions as well so i i kind of like to just call that and say that because i think it's really really important the thing about cognition is it's really impacted by a lot of things like exercise um so It's also impacted by things like your mood Um, and your mood can be impacted by exercise. So there's lots of things that are tied up together. Things like depression, anxiety, apathy, sleep issues. Some of those things are treatable things. A lot of them respond very positively to exercise. Those things impact cognition. So when we have something that is potentially treatable um, we certainly want to address that, and we certainly don't want to kind of be in denial that there might be cognitive changes because if you're in denial about it and you don't want to talk about it and you don't want to think about it, then you might not be doing everything you could to maximize it. Another one of those areas where we know there is a lot of research coming out um, that of uh, something that impacts cognition is hearing loss. This is not something that I hear people in any of the Parkinson's organizations talking very much about. And so I've really, in my work with the APDA, I've really been trying to get to talk more and more about hearing loss. Of course, we have a lot of people in the Parkinson's world that are older and hearing loss is very, very common over the age of 70, especially. So, you know, we know that this is an area that is tied to cognitive changes. Uh, the exact relationship between cognition and hearing loss is not well understood yet, but it's a very close relationship. So we, the, there's a lot of research going on, some of it at UMass where I am, and I get to work with amazing audiologists um, and researchers. And so we know that there is a really close connection there. So treating hearing loss is really important and Tim, I don't know, I know you and I had, had talked about this before when we were planning this, this talk, and you, you were talking about how it impacts physical therapy sessions.
0: Yeah, I'm so glad you brought this up. I mean, you know, it, it can definitely make it hard to keep up with a, a, your regular PT sessions if, if that's kind of one other barrier. But also, you know, even just more generally speaking, you can imagine, you know, how hearing losses tend to develop pretty gradually over time. So, you know, people oftentimes don't have that, that one moment where they say like, this is a huge problem for me because of how slowly it develops. But then, you know, you start to have more trouble hearing your friends that, you know, when you go out to eat um, you start to have trouble hearing your boxing instructor. It's it's just, it's one more thing that can lead to barriers to people, you know, maintaining that active lifestyle that we try to help people hold on to. So I, I'm just thrilled that you're bringing this up because I, I do think it's something that we need to do a better job of raising awareness for.
1: And we actually need more research about hearing and perception, in, mm-hmm. specifically in people with Parkinson's disease too, so there's that whole other element too. Um, so it's it's very it's very interesting. Um, so um, in terms of cognition, you know, attention, memory, language, executive functions, which are kind of higher level planning and organization, visual spatial changes. A lot of people just have a generalized complaint about. I just feel like I think slower. All of mm-hmm. those things um, are are definitely. Um, some changes that that can happen for people with PD.
0: And Lisa, I know you mentioned that exercise can help with some of some of those symptoms, but also I I see the other way around, where like making sure you're getting the best treatment and kind of working some strategies around, um, you know, how do you just keep yourself going with you know around these symptoms can really help people stick to. An extra sex program over a long term too. So I, I think yeah. that relationship works both ways and and I see that all the time as well.
1: I think that that's a great point and it reminds me of so many times, you know, I would work with someone with PD on their voice because that was a really big issue and we wanted them to be able to functionally communicate and be able to order through the drive through and order in a restaurant, and be able to go into social situations again and be heard and understood by other people. Mm-hmm. Um, but but uh, And it's kind of an intensive program, which I'll talk a little bit more about, but then I would also address their the changes in their cognition. And sometimes it was just a matter of sitting down with the people in the household and kind of say, what's important? What are you having trouble do- doing? And sometimes it was a relatively simple solution or sometimes it was setting up technology to the place where they didn't have to think about it and the technology was helping them. And, you know, there are some pretty simple solutions that allowed them to adhere to their exercise schedule, to take their meds on time, you know, all the things that are so important to moving. Um, Mm -hmm. and, And they weren't doing all of those things because of their cognitive impairments. So, yeah, I agree with you very much. I've seen so. that all
0: the time, you know, occupational therapy and speech therapy is sometimes like they'll, they'll give people that extra little lift that helps them get started and, and you can really get into some good habits that minimize the impact that this could have on you.
1: Yeah. And we're never trying to force somebody into using some kind of a system that doesn't work for them or using technology. Sometimes it's completely no tech, low tech kinds of things too just writing things down sometimes can make a big difference. So one of the things that I always try to do is, you know, obviously really get to know the person, really find out what's important to them, and then trial and error a few things. Okay, let's go for a week and try this, come back and tell me what part of that worked, what part of it didn't work, and then, you know, working with the PT and the OT to to make sure that it's working for all the things that that they want. And I want to also here address the the reality and what so many people say to me so often, I'm sure they say this to you too. If I did everything that I'm told that I have to do for my PD, I wouldn't be able to live my life. And for sure, we don't want that for people, right? right? right. That's not the point that we're trying to make. we are It's a balance. It's a balance. And it's going to be a different balance for every person. But if we can get them to understand the value of exercise and the value of early evaluation with someone who understands PD and is an expert in it um, and is trained, um, that can go such a long, long way with creating something individually for that person that's really gonna work in the future.
0: Right, right.
1: Okay. I and just want
0: to make sure I remind everyone. Sorry to cut you off. Please oh, no. just make sure, because um, we've got another like five or ten minutes before we get to the Q and A. So make sure you're typing your questions into the Q and A for us as as we go through these slides. Um, we'd love to hear from you and see uh, what questions you have for us.
1: Great. Yeah. Um, and I want to make sure that we have plenty of time to answer people's questions. And I'm happy to, you know, help out with working through the questions afterwards. If we have so many that we can't get to, that's absolutely Mm -hmm. fine too. Um, So dysphagia is the medical term for swallowing disorder. I like to put this on a slide for people because I want them, if they're reading a report, I want them to know what that means. Um, Swallowing problems in Parkinson's disease are very, very common. And um, just like speech and voice, I find that people wait way too long to be evaluated. Things are really in rough shape before I see them. And that's been sort of my life mission. That's that's one of the reasons I've been so excited to to be in a university setting to try to train students and and, be able to, to do things in creative ways to help people understand that they need to access services way, way earlier than, than a lot of times they do. And that people don't always know what to report to their physician. They don't know what's significant and what isn't. But a lot of times people can have difficulty with the way the food and the liquid is moving they're moving it slower and you know when you are moving something slower in your mouth and it's a thin liquid guess what gravity carries it very quickly and sometimes it's getting it to a place in your throat where it's not where it's supposed to be it's too early and so your muscles haven't had a chance to do what they need to do to protect your airway. So there's um, a lot of changes that can happen that are typical in, in PD and there are some very effective treatments for dysphagia. And, um, you really want to stay on top of these things because it has real health consequences for people. Weight loss for sure is a very common one. A lot of times people are telling me that they're at the table long after everyone else has left because it's just taking them that much longer to chew, move the food, swallow the food, move on to the next thing, let alone the difficulties with getting it on the fork, getting it from the plate to the mouth, those kinds of things. Um, And, you know, reduced quality of life. People stop going out to eat. They stop, well, none of us are going out to eat right now, but you know, someday we will. And then of course, aspiration pneumonia is a real concern. Um, So social isolation around um, swallowing issues is really huge.
0: Lisa, I just think maybe we should uh, just define aspiration pneumonia for, for people who haven't heard that term before.
1: Sure. So when we swallow our vocal cords, our vocal folds, close very tightly and our whole throat kind of closes off. It lifts up and it closes off real tight and it directs all of the food or liquid down through the esophagus so we have two tubes that are really close together one's the esophagus where the food's supposed to go and the other is your airway where the air is supposed to go in and out of and where your voice is produced and so what happens because swallowing is all about timing and coordination and muscles have to work in just a certain way with just a certain speed All of those things can really be impacted significantly, and you can end up with things going into your airway Mm -hmm. instead of into your esophagus. And so when it goes below the vocal folds, that's called aspiration. So it means it went down the wrong pipe. That's, Mm -hmm. you know, all of us have had that happen. And to some extent, everybody has that happen every so often. But because of all of these issues that I talked about earlier, the same issues that affect your voice are the ones that are affecting your swallowing, Um, things can go down the wrong way a lot more often. And sometimes they go down the wrong way and you don't sense it, so you don't cough. Or if you're really weak and you have a weak cough, then you don't expel things out of there that cough is supposed to be to expel everything out of there. So with PD, a lot of times people that get really debilitated, you know, can really develop a lot of trouble with just being able to have a good cough. Um, And so, you know, your general health and your your ability to be up and around and expand those lungs and have good oxygen exchange and good strength of a cough it's, it wasn't uncommon for me in my 30-year career before I came to UMass where I would see someone who was doing pretty well with their PD and then weren't really having swallowing changes, but then they fell and they broke their hip and then they went into the hospital and then they were immobilized for a while. Not to mention maybe not getting their PD meds on time and some of the other issues that can happen. And just that, that change Um, In their ability to get around can throw them into an exacerbation of their Parkinson's and they can have difficulty swallowing. So that's kind of the link. That's how it's all linked together.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, So one of the things that I found, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this slide because there are people from all over the country and sounds like from other countries too, which is really exciting, um, is just... This, I, I developed a group at UMass because I was finding that a lot of my patients that I was starting to see for individual therapy and therapy is very intense were sort of like, oh my gosh, how am I going to do this? This is this is intense. Why do I have to do this? And what about all these other things? You know, they don't understand swallowing. They don't. There's a lot. There's a lot to learn, right? And so I developed an education group with my grad students. So I would really encourage people from all over, if you have university programs around to avail yourself of, of you know, Check in with them. Find out if they have any programming around Parkinson's disease. So um, I I have this group. It's for people in Massachusetts because that's where I am and that's where I'm licensed. Um, but um, it really has been wonderful because it it gets people all the information. It helps them feel empowered. They know what to ask for. They know how to talk to their motor disorder, you know their 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 neurologists and and. Um, Yeah, it's been really phenomenal. And I get to train my grad students. So they have specialty (laughs) skills in PD once they leave. And I know the students at at BU have that as well. Um, So just to talk a little bit more about uh, speech language pathology services, they are intense. There's excellent, excellent evidence for what we do. Um, particularly for something called LSVT, which is the Lee Silverman voice treatment. It's a four time a week for four weeks session. It takes specialty certifications, specialty training. Um, There are some other therapy approaches as well that are designed specifically for PD. Um, There's a speak out program. Um, LSVT is sort of the gold standard because there's just such a large amount of evidence, um, really, really good gold uh, standard, you know, um, randomized controlled studies um, with large numbers of subjects. So um, I feel really good about services that I can provide Um, services usually start with being uh, evaluated by an otolaryngologist so that they can visualize the vocal folds that's being deferred right now during covid because of course it's an aerosolizing (laughs) procedure but it is an important thing and as soon as we can start doing that we always send our patients to an otolaryngologist first because Coarseness can sometimes be something else. And so it's, it's pretty important. Um, so again, I just am trying to reinforce with this slide that you wanna to go to someone who knows what they're doing, who is reading the research, following the evidence, um, carrying out the treatment with fidelity. You know, there's a lot of places where, you know, they might do 45 minute sessions instead of an hour lsvt is supposed to be an hour if they do 45 minute sessions it's not lsvt and you're getting four hours less of therapy for that 16 session time so i like to just kind of try to make sure that i'm educating people about what to be watching for and what the evidence is Um, we see a lot of improvements lsvt in particular focuses on the voice there's a a, a device that um, has been developed called the vive and the vive is a device that can be put in the ear that introduces noise that then you speak at a volume above that noise just because of a reflex. Um, that's enough, that also takes specialty training. So you see where I'm headed with this. You really want to be seeking out the services of someone who really understands Parkinson's disease and really understands the evidence and is focusing on the right things. When we focus on the voice, we see changes in their speech, in their articulation. We see changes in inflection of the voice, and we see changes in the facial expression as well. Also, you see changes in swallowing because the same muscles that you're using to exercise the voice are the same muscles that you're using when you swallow. So there's a lot of really good evidence out there.
0: And one thing I think um, you had mentioned earlier that um, we found really helpful too is kind of recommending that earlier assessment with a professional. So, you know, that's something that we've really advocated for too is that, you know, see a physical therapist early right after you're diagnosed and we can, take a baseline and we can meet with you periodically and kind of make sure you're keeping yourself working at that same level. And and I I, I thought that was a really neat point that you're making too, is that um, the the same kind of thing is um, starting with the speech world too.
1: Yes, it's absolutely the same kind of thing, but we aren't getting the same kind of traction for some reason that physical therapy has gone. Another reason I'm here. (laughs) (laughs) Trying to continue to educate everyone you know you may not be ready to to acknowledge or or you may truly feel like you are not experiencing any changes but once you're diagnosed i think it's really important to at least get an evaluation you know a lot of times a physical therapist if you're very you have very very mild symptoms they're they're not going to see you forever you know they're they're going to set you up on a program but then you know you know what you need to be working on and you know how to target important areas that really can be a problem with pd the same thing is the case with the voice and the swallowing and so you know you not might not you might just have the evaluation and that's your baseline. Um, And for swallowing as well, you might not have very severe swallowing issues, but you might have very mild things, but it's a really good idea to get that fully evaluated. I'll talk about that on the next slide here. Um, Something called a modified barium swallow is is one of the instrumental assessments. It's a moving X-ray of the swallow. And, um, you know, it's really, that's when you said baseline, that's exactly why we like to do these early for people with PD as well, because it's very important to have a baseline, Um, baselines for, for communication as well. So, um, you know, I've tried to give you some wording if you need to talk to your doctor about this and, you know what you're asking for. (laughs) I tried to give you the words for that um, for both um, swallowing and and as well for um, uh, any changes in communication or cognition. All right and treatment again with swallowing is very effective. It is exercise based. Do you see a theme here? (laughs) And a lot of times, you know, we're really, really working to to make sure that people are on the least restrictive diet possible. That they're maintaining their nutrition and their hydration. We work closely with nutrition as well as a profession. So, um, yeah, we're really trying to develop an individualized plan for each person if they're having changes in their swallowing. And then I've given you a little bit of information about finding some specific kinds of things. Um, If you're in Massachusetts and you're interested in our group, it's on the APDA Massachusetts chapter website if if people are interested in that. There's ways to find certified clinicians. Um, On ASHA, you can find speech language pathologists and audiologists. And then if you're looking for LSVT specifically, here's a link for, for being able to locate a clinician in your area. And then I think the last thing that we have is just a reminder about the helpline. Maybe Tim, you wanna talk a little bit more about that.
0: Yeah, so I just wanted to remind everyone before we turn over to the Q&A that um, the APDA has the um, exercise helpline, which is available to everyone nationwide. So um, if there are any questions that you have that we don't get around to today, um, or if you have a bunch of questions and just wanna talk with us, Um, you can feel free to use this phone number that's listed here, or you can send your questions into rehab at bu.edu. You'll be able to get in touch with one of us at the Center for NeuroRehab. So you'll be able to kind of have a physical therapist look over your question and we can try to help um, direct you to any sort of follow-up that you might need. So, I just wanted to make sure that um, you're aware of that resource for you while we turn over to the QA. Um, I saw a lot of great questions coming in, um, and I wanted to make sure we get through as many of them as we can. Um, Lisa, one of the first ones that we had was Is a modified barium swallow the same as a barium swallow test?
1: Yeah, okay. That's a really good question. And I'm really glad that somebody asked that because it's an, it's, <laughs> It had continued over the course of my entire career to be an issue, sometimes even with physicians, believe it or not. So it is one of these things that's a little bit confusing. A barium swallow looks from the esophagus down through the, the rest of the, you know, the the different the GI tract. A modified barium swallow is looking at what's happening from the lips to the esophagus once it opens up and lets the food down. So it's looking at this part. A modified barium swallow will have a speech language pathologist and a radiologist there for the procedure. A barium swallow does not have a speech language pathologist. Well, speech language pathologists are the experts in what's happening in the oral phase of the swallow and in the pharyngeal phase of the swallow. They're looking at the larynx. They're looking to see if somebody's aspirating or not. Every now and then on a barium swallow, they can see aspiration, but that's not really what they're looking for. They're looking at the esophagus and, and, and the upper and lower esophagus. And we're really looking at how the muscles are working in there. And when we're doing this, we're looking to see what the problem is. And then we're trying different things. We might try a different position. We might try a different strategy. We might try different consistencies of food, all to see if there's a safer way to do something so that we can keep people on the least restrictive diet possible.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh, and another one I had was, um, can you explain the difference among voice therapy, speech therapy, and language therapy. Um, And one other follow-up was also, where can I find these options in Western Massachusetts?
1: Oh, well. (laughs) There are lots of options in Western Massachusetts. Most of the um, area hospitals have speech language pathologists employed at them in inpatient and outpatient settings. Um, And a lot of my former students are now working in those places, which is really great. Um, And um, the, the difference, so our field is called speech language pathology. It's kind of a difficult, name, and it gives us problems sometimes because pathology, you know, we have different connotations for pathology from medicine, right? Um, But some people call us speech therapists. Some people call us speech clinicians. Um, But as a field, we call ourselves speech language pathologists. You'll see it written SLP. We address all other kinds of things that are not included in that title, like swallowing, like voice. But a speech language pathologist is the person that can address all of those things the minimum degree is a master's degree and you should see ccc slp behind their name that's who you want to go to now there are voice teachers out there those are often people that have a music background um and but generally speaking those those people don't have specialty training in, in Parkinson's disease. And they certainly don't have the training of speech language pathologist, which is a, a master's degree. So um, yeah.
0: Yeah. And I just thought um, a follow-up question was like, uh, if my husband's going to choke on something, um, should I be taking a review class in first aid? And I, I just am thinking like maybe we should recommend um, a a, a speech language pathology evaluation um, for this person, because that'll be your best bet of knowing if if there is a danger, right, um, with the, the problems with dysphagia that we had talked about earlier,
1: right. And there's different kinds of choking too, you know. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes somebody's if they're coughing because they're having something go down the wrong way, um, you know, if they're coughing, they still have an airway theoretically, right but they can be at risk for also choking, which is like completely blocking where you need to give the Heimlich. Um, So yeah, those are all things that you need some extra help for something like that. You shouldn't be taking that on yourself. That sounds to me like, not that it's, it's it's a fine idea to take a CPR class. Absolutely, I never would not recommend that, but you most definitely want to get that looked at by somebody.
0: Yeah, yeah. And then I, I see a few questions and, and I'm trying to, uh, so I apologize for everyone who who kind of sent this in because I'm trying to kind of combine a few questions into, into one here. And um, sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. So definitely get in touch with us if I'm kind of missing the spirit of your question. Uh, but I think a few people just, you know, kind of Seemed like they wanted a better idea of just what are the exor- what could an exercise look like for, for the swallowing problems.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely, I'd be happy to talk about that. So a lot of the swallowing exercises um, are targeting what might be specifically going wrong. So again, if I don't have a modified barium swallow as a therapist, I don't have x-ray vision, I can't see in your throat, I don't know exactly what's going on. So sometimes we're working on something, we get a modified barium swallow and we say, you know, when you're drinking thin liquids, The only way you're safe is when you tuck your chin. Mm -hmm. Um, And so now I want to say something about the chin tuck, because the chin tuck is one that I hear a lot of doctors and nurses saying, oh, if you're having trouble swallowing, just tuck your chin. No, please don't listen to that. Please, if any of you have ever said that to somebody, you cannot say that without a modified barium swallow, because some people do worse with a chin tuck. So first and foremost, you need to get instrumental assessment of that to really know for sure. But that is sometimes a chin tuck does work pretty well for some people, or sometimes it's a breath hold, and then a a swallow, a cough, and then another swallow. Like we have all kinds of strategies that we can use for people. Um, And so those are not always easy to do. You can't just tell somebody to do those and have them be able to apply that in a meal, in a social setting with distractions or if they have cognitive impairments. you know. So those are the kinds of things we teach those strategies. We practice them. Sometimes we might restrict their diet if they're really not safe. And then only with the speech language pathologist do they do some of that less restrictive stuff to practice to make sure they've got it. We train the family. Sometimes it's doing tongue strengthening exercises. If we find that there's tongue weakness, sometimes it will be doing pitch glides. So pitch glides are something that we do. Ah, those kinds of things are exercises that we might do um, in a session um, for voice. But they also are, if you put your hand on your Adam's apple and you swallow, you will feel that your Adam's apple goes up and comes back down when you swallow. If you do that same thing when you raise and lower your pitch, oh, you can feel your Adam's apple go up. It's because you're using those same muscles of laryngeal elevation. So again, those are the some of the types of exercises that we'll do. It's intense. You have mm-hmm. to do them. It's like anything else. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think we could we could definitely probably close off by saying exercise helps, but it's really good to have, you know, a professional who really knows what they're doing, kind of looking at you and seeing exactly what is going to be best for you, Um, just because everyone's so different. Um, So I think that might be our big take home.
1: Absolutely, and you know, if there's something that it just simply does not work for you, it's not like we're gonna dismiss you from our office and say, sorry, you have to do it my way or the highway. That would not be a good therapist. We always work with you.
0: Right, right. Well, so thank you everyone for your questions and please do um, you know we'll try our best to reach out if, if there's any questions we didn't get to and, and feel free to use that um, exercise helpline that we had um, up before. Um, I just wanted to thank Lisa for coming in and joining us and um, we really hope you found it helpful um, to, to hear from Lisa. Next month, um, Teresa Baker, a colleague of mine at the Center for NeuroRehab will be having a similar discussion with Maura O'Keefe who's an occupational therapist. Um, So I just wanted to kind of put a plug in. I hope you're available for that. And uh, we hope to see you then. All right. Thanks, everyone. Take care.